Okay. Welcome to Northern Overexposure Podcast. This is a podcast about the 1990 series Northern Exposure. And our mission here is to expand the reach of the show. You know, we want to, we want to get as many people as possible to see the show. I'm not really sure how we're going to do it. Um, but my friend Charles is joining me again. Yeah, as for usual, I should be here for the rest of the run of our show. Yeah, as long as he doesn't give up on the show. Uh, so far, so good. He liked the pilot enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely enjoyed the pilot. That, um, but now we're here for episode two. and I don't know if I like the show as much. Oh, really? So you, you prefer the pilot to episode two? Well, pilots are endearing. They're really charming. Uh, okay. And you're introduced to all the new cast. It, it's kind of, I guess... Um, What's that called? Like when you move into a new place and you see all the new charms and quirks of it, but then if you live there for a long while, you're like, oh, this, this place is a dump. So you had like a honeymoon phase with the first episode yeah, 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 and yeah. now you're over it. You well, definitely not. No, I'm not saying I'm over it, but I can see the flaws more. Okay. They're more evident in my eyes. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Well, I'm sure we're going to get into it and figure out what irked you about this episode. But um, we should say the title of the episode um, is... Brains, know-how, and native intelligence. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's a pretty cool title. I, I like, you know, I like long titles. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I definitely thought, you know, that's really interesting. Thinking back on it, I'm actually not too sure why it's called that, even after watching the episode. I know uh, parts of it, but why would you name the whole episode this rather than just a simple title? Yeah, I guess maybe... I'm assuming it's referring to sort of the central plot of the episode, which is Joel is uh, seeing um, Ed's uncle Anku, who's mm -hmm. sort of like this Eskimo Indian type, uh, you know, Alaskan Indian. Mm -hmm. um, so native intelligence referring to uh, uncle Anku, who is a sort of a medicine man. Oh, so it's okay. Like different, it's like the difference between, uh, you know, Columbia School of Medicine and witch doctor, you know, as they oh. refer to him in the episode. And I guess exactly, I guess the brain part is talking about, uh, I guess, the Maurice and uh, Chris and the way they view subjects. Maybe so. I mean, I I don't know. Yeah, I just read it as, you're right. I mean, it doesn't necessarily um, blanket all of the pot, uh, all of the plot lines of this episode, mm -hmm. but I feel like the major, it kind of is referring to the major plot. Yeah, the major overarching theme throughout it. Well, okay, so this episode had an air date of July 19, 1990, so before I was born. So That's before I was born, too. Yeah, we're, we're kind of like youngsters catching on to this show. All right, so the first scene of this episode, you know, what what's going on? Who is this character that's just like talking to the radio? We've never been introduced to him before. What do you... Yeah, well, I, I like that. It's a radio morning DJ, and it's uh, Chris in the morning. He is reciting Walt Whitman. Yeah, so this is Chris, who we met. Um, I, t I mentioned to you, he's sort of like an extra in the last scene of the first episode. Wait, that's who you were referring yeah. to? And he has like no lines in the in the first episode, but he's kind of a major character in this episode and yeah. in this series. He's like probably one of my favorite characters I, of the show. I didn't even recognize him in the scene, like in, in the crowd scene. Yeah, I mean, because he's just sort of looks like an extra, like I yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, he's reciting. Uh, when Lilacs Last in the Dooryard Bloomed by mm. Walt Whitman. Are, are you familiar with that poem? I'm not. I mean, just insofar as watching this episode. So he's got, he's sort of like this character who had sort of like a rough childhood. And he was, he came across Walt Whitman while he was like looting a house, he mentions. So he was like robbing a house and he's like, oh, yeah. I came across this Walt Whitman. Kind of like, 
gave him like the heart of gold, like, you know, the thief with the heart of gold. So yeah, he's sort yeah, of like yeah, this yeah. lovable. Um, <laughs> he's a, a free spirited individual. You know, obviously he's quoting for Walt women and everything. Um, the poem is actually really interesting because I think that it's about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, but it never oh. mentioned uh, Abraham Lincoln in the poem, okay. but it's meant to be inferred about that. It's a really sad, really, I guess, depressing. Like elegiac. Um, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Top of poem. It's free verse. And Well, I'm glad you looked into that. I need to, maybe <laughs> I should encourage our listeners to crack open some Walt Whitman. There's a line in this episode where uh, Joel is at the quote unquote library, which is oh. Ruth Ann's uh, corner store. And she says something about, um, oh, you, you want a library card? Well, um, just to let you know, the Walt Whitman is on back order. Yeah. Like, so many people have been uh, checking out Walt Whitman since Chris started reading him on the radio. So I think that's, a, I, I love that. Yeah. I love two things. One is that uh, Ruth Ann's store is a library. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and for a second, I didn't realize that. I saw a bunch of canned goods yeah. and I was wondering what was going on at this library. I was like, oh, I guess it must sell food. And then once the character came, I was like, oh, okay. It's yeah. also the same store. It's like looking for books on plumbing or something. Yeah, uh, it can do everything. Ruth Ann, who we actually didn't, a touch on last episode. We, we didn't did. really talk about her character, but she is, she's in the first episode and yeah, yeah. she's the one who gives uh, bus, uh, Joel the bus schedule. And she doesn't know what bagels are. Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. Like we said, like no one, only Ed knows what bagels are. Cause, uh, he's seen a Woody Allen film or something. Oh yeah. That, that was, was the, the reason. The pilot, yeah. That was the reason. <laughs> Woody Allen film. Yeah. But the beginning of the scene is, um, Chris in the morning and hearing a super sad poem from there. And then he, uh, Joel looks up and it's Ed. Yeah. So Joel is, uh, wakes up from his alarm, mm -hmm. alarm clock. And Ed is just like kind of sitting there waiting for him. Ed apparently let himself into Joel's house. Everyone has the same key in this town. Apparently <laughs> it's like, what are you doing in my bedroom, man? Don't you believe in knocking before you drop in at 628 in the morning? Oh, Indians don't knock. It's rude. No. What the hell do Indians do? Use the key. The key. You have the key to my bedroom? Oh, it works on my house, too. Lots of people have the same key. You don't have to worry so much about getting locked out. This, uh, this script, like, makes no waste because in this kind of, like, opening scene, we get the first kind of, like, two plot lines. Uh, almost like if you, if you count this whole sequence, like, all of the plot lines are established in the first scene. So we got our major plot line. Ed has woken, is waiting for Joel to wake up in bed, and Ed tells Joel that his uncle needs to see a doctor. Yeah. Um, immediately, Joel gets up, goes to the bathroom, and his toilet doesn't work, which is sort of like the Maggie-Joel plot line. Yeah, it's like the B-plot. The B-plot. And then by the end of this whole sequence, we've got Chris in the morning is sort of like pervading and like underlining every scene because you hear him on the radio wherever you are. And at the end of the sort of like a sort of Chris's broadcast, um, we have a shot of Maurice maybe fishing or something. He's like listening to the radio. And Maurice gets pretty irritated with whatever uh, yeah, Chris yeah. mentions on the radio. And that's kind of that plot line. He's got such a dis uh, disgusted look on his face. Because Chris alludes to uh, Walt Whitman being a homosexual. Yes. Which we'll get to that later. Okay. Um, I, I definitely have thoughts on that. But yeah, so those are the three A plot, B plot, and C plots. And immediately established then like the first like three minutes. Yeah. So the viewer knows what's up. Yeah. And so like, you know, unlike a pilot, you know, it doesn't. It's it's not taking its time to set up new characters or anything. We just get blindsided by Chris in the morning. He's just his brand new character. Mm -hmm. um, not a whole lot of explanation there, but we we get it. You know, he's this uh, ex-con who's uh, now has a soft heart. Yeah, um, and we just get the episode rolling. Uh, the, we see Uncle Anku, who's kind of one of my. 
I think when I watch this show, I think something about like the Native American, like sort of spiritualism and mysticism is a big draw, was a big draw for me when I first watched it. I always liked the wise old like Native American um, shaman or something, which Uncle Anku, we're in the scene now where uh, Ed is um, checking up on Uncle Anku who's bird watching. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's bird watching out in the middle of the woods. Well, what's your read on? Go ahead. Well, we see him. Uh, what's great about him is that like you said before, like we're expected that he's just, uh, he's got shamanistic wisdom and that he would be naive to the ways of how the present works, but he, he isn't. Like he understands how the modern, very modern world works. Yeah, very yeah. modern shaman. Uh, in fact, like a, lot of his, uh, a lot of his jokes are making fun of that. Uh-huh. Like I think that's a really good joke uh, later on in the episode where yeah. he says, like, yeah, the, the reason I, I know that I'm, I'm suffering from this uh, disease is because I saw it in a dream and it was on my tea leaves and I saw a doctor. Yeah. Like, like, a classic rule of threes in comedy. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a good joke. Um, but yeah, like. That, um, is, that is one of my favorite parts. It's like, yeah, he, he doesn't let up that he, because he still holds up his like, his beliefs, but then he's like, kind of cracks it down. It's like, yeah, I saw a specialist. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of though, I actually really like that line, but uh is tea leaves like a Native American thing or is that more of a Chinese thing or I think is it it's, just like your bulk uh, I, spiritualism? Yeah, I think it's the bulk spiritualism. <laughs> yeah. They're really about tea leaves. Uh, I guess any culture loves loves some tea leaves. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of like I don't know if any... that applies to, to Alaska tea, but maybe so. I don't think it's specifically to Alaska. It's I wouldn't just say mysticism. That. Yeah, it's just mysticism in general. Um, well, here's what I wanted to say about Anku. Um, yes. He's got a really great quality of like deflecting a conversation he's really masterful at it like yeah. you see it in the first in the first scene with ed um ed is trying to get um on to go see dr fleischman and uh i don't know he's just he's just really good at changing the subject and be like yeah i'll go see him in a second but uh why don't you help me pick some of these like berries or like i don't know what he says but he's like you know we got to go do this first we gotta you know he, he's he's really good at not getting to the bottom line yeah he's super flighty just doesn't want to confront about anything about his well-being. Well, one I thing, think there's a line in there where he also says a uh, red willow bark. Oh, and he okay. says, yeah, and the same thing as aspirin. Yeah, it's the same thing as aspirin, which is, again, another nod toward him being Toward like, modernism and like the kind of classic ways. Yeah, um, and I love that he said that. It was there's like, a lot of that in this episode, for sure. And I guess hearkening back to the title, yeah, I guess it does fit a lot better, you know, in some of these cases, a lot better than I thought, like the title of Brains versus know-how versus native intelligence yeah you know like how they do it how they do it in sicily and how they do it in new york you know yeah exactly there's a lot of crossover and actually since we're on the subject um that's kind of one of my favorite um insights into joel's character in this episode is when they sit down to dinner with uncle anku um joel is actually very humbled and inquisitive and interested in anku being a medicine man like he doesn't he doesn't view it as um, pseudoscience or just like, you know, he, he definitely respects this old wise man, even though we know that um, shamanism is not going to cure prostate cancer, you know, and they kind of have this great conversation about um, how a lot of times medicine isn't about, um, you know, how many cc's of this like drug do you need to pump in or like how much of this do you prescribe? A lot of it is, uh, I think Anku refers to it as a, Psycho- a little bit of psychology, a uh, plant root here, a placebo there. A lot of it is just kind of like being with the patient. Um, Joel mentions that 
the the body, the human body is an extraordinary self-writing machine. One of my favorite aspects of Northern Exposure is it's about the, as we said in the pilot, it's about kind of like the interpersonal connection between doctor and patient. It's not, it doesn't really focus on sort of like met, too much medicine, too much. Right. Though we get a little bit of a color with that. You know, they, they, we do. they like, you know, stipple it into the dialogue here and there and it, it feels, feels pretty brainy. Yeah, I think they only did that like one, like one scene that referred to uh, uh, actual uh, medicine. I think it's when he's talking about Maggie's knee. He's oh, saying yeah. he's talking about uh, seeing the specific parts of her or why isn't it working. Uh-huh. I, I think that was like the only yeah. time to mention it. I would also say that I know you talked about interpersonal connections as being a major theme in this show, but I would say that compare and contrast mm-hmm. is a really big theme, and we see it predominantly in this episode. I yeah. would say that that is the major theme about it because you're yeah. comparing the very urban New York lifestyle where, and Joel talks about it saying like he's got like a climate controlled room. Yeah. Uh, he's in Yankee stadium watching America's favorite pastime. And then we compare it to uh, out in the wilderness, Alaska, where it's like a town he's of chasing down his patients. He's yeah, like, yeah. 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 How, how many people are in Cecily? Uh, I think we had said, we had said in the, in our first episode that it was somewhere around 400. I think, I was looking this up. I haven't actually gone back to the first episode to watch it, but mm-hmm. um, apparently there's a sign in the first episode that says something like 200, around the 200 numbers, but it increases. Um, I don't know. I just read this on IMDb. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, according to IMDb, like in the first episode, the population is around the 200s, and then later it changes to the number um, 839 or something in reference to their budget. This is, again, an IMDb... <laughs> goof and i'm to be trivia yeah yeah so you know maybe we should do some research and come up with some corrections from our last episode um on the next episode and yeah yeah definitely stick around for episode three and we'll (laughs) we'll figure out the exact population the exact like population uh diversity how many uh native americans is it we'll get the census breakdown for you man we'll figure it out for you if it takes us Forever, but by the end of this <laughs> podcast, we'll know every single person living in Sicily. <laughs> uh, uh, you have to hold me to that, Charles. Oh, of course. So, oh wait, there's a funny line I wrote down about Uncle Anku. Uh, yeah, Ed is uh, is in one of the sequences where Ed is talking to Joel. What is the line? It's something about it's like the witch doctor line. Do you know what I'm is it about? the witch witch line? Yeah, when keeps like, they're playing the Abbott Costello's who's on first base. Yeah, uh, that joke. Yeah. yeah, I really like that too. I um, think I have the I have the sound clip. I'll play it because I don't even remember what he says. My uncle won't come in. Your uncle. Oh, right. Why? Doesn't like doctors? He doesn't trust them. Why's that? He is a doctor. Oh, oh, really? Which kind? Which? Which which? Which what? Which doctor? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's what we were looking for. Oh, God bless Abbott and Costello. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Vaudeville's greatest comedians. That is a very Abbott and Costello. Uh, famous bit. Um, and then I think this scene would really, I think I laughed at this and I don't think it was intentionally meant to be funny, but we talked about Maurice being very perturbed by what Chris is saying. Yeah. And then he just, he walks into where his studio is. Where K- Chris is K-R-B-H or K-R- K-Bear? K-Bear. K-B-H-R. Which he, uh, uh, Maurice calls K-Bear. Yeah. Which is great. That's, that's uh, a great like name that. for a call sign. Especially for one in Alaska. Yeah. But he goes in there and he uh, physically violently throws uh, Chris out. Yeah. And it plays the hilarity. don't see it. It's like he throws him off screen. But we later learn that Chris was thrown through like plate glass or something. Yeah. <laughs> I was so disturbed with that. And, uh, 
obviously illegal. Like you cannot do that. <laughs> well, he owns his. He's not gonna, you know, charge Chris for like. Maurice basically broke his own studio. Like Maurice owns the studio. No, I'm talking about like it's illegal to throw someone out a window. Oh, yeah, like <laughs> assault uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen any of uh, like the police department in Sicily. Oh, that's true. We'll have to see if there is, is one. Is there even a police department here? <laughs> How are crimes reported? We'll, we'll see what what happens with that. I mean, there's definitely some uh, there's some law and order in in later episodes. So oh, okay, so they we'll don't police there. themselves. Well, we'll see. I don't want to spoil it. So. <laughs> I, I want you to have a, a, a like a a clean view clean slate for every episode you know? oh okay got and it just from the beginning see how it comes along yeah so he uh throws him out and he decides to man the radio station maurice yeah. himself and i love this because maurice plays a bunch of classical musicals roger yeah. and hammerstein george gershwin and now you're you're a fan of uh musicals oh so yeah absolutely do any of these uh sort of like resonate with you or yeah they're really he picked really uh popular really big ones like brigadoon kiss me kate yeah. uh, i think his favorite is the king and i uh-huh. which is played uh throughout the entire episode whenever they're listening to the radio <laughs> yeah it's just uh the king and i which is a great music i've only listened to it once though but much, yeah much to the dismay of the townsfolk yes not, they hate it very there's actually a, a great scene where they call like a town meeting and we learned that Holling, uh, the bartender of the brick, is the is the mayor of town. Is okay. Like, I was because the first line of that scene is like, "As your mayor, uh, I'm going to call this uh, town meeting." Is that into what order. he says? Yeah. I listen. I rewatched that scene four or five times because I was trying to maybe because you're just so appalled. It's like, wait, he can't be the mayor. You like keep re-listening to it. Yeah. Well, like maybe it was like the quality of the episode that I was watching it in, but I didn't know if he was. I thought he said. For some reason in my mind, I thought he said, the mayor has asked me to speak about this. No, like on the behest boy. of the mayor. Yeah. So I was like, that makes more he sense. He owns the brick and he's the mayor, dude. That um, is, uh, how folksy is that? You yeah. own a bar and they elected this man as the mayor. And he still runs the bar. It's not like, oh, I no longer run the bar. Yeah, there, isn't very, there isn't very much use for a mayor in Sicily, but for this is like such a dramatic, mm-hmm. appalling event. Uh that you know they have to call a town meeting because everyone I love dude this scene has all the extras in this scene like the townsfolk they just have like the perfect like look and vibe they don't feel like actors they just feel like I, normal crew they feel like crew members some of them might exactly. be some of like the younger males in the crowd or like a lot of the crew I'm sure and they have like these old ladies and they're all just like yelling at Maurice and like pointing. they got the petition sign yeah. 346 people are, if I oh, presume so the number it must be more than 200 okay. oh you're right yeah I didn't all right. fit well, this two we're gonna together. have to like get our facts straight we're gonna come we back can, we can, we can figure this out man yeah. but yeah they have that uh, town hall meeting and uh, I really like it. This is a very niche thing to like. I like when there's town halls being called in TV shows. We see this in Gilmore Girls a lot, town halls being called. And uh-huh. we see that uh, Parks and Recreation has that a little bit, uh, where they have town halls. And like you said, there's always, I don't know who they how they cast them, but they always look like people that would be in a town hall. Yeah. They don't look very glamorous. They don't look like st- uh, typical Hollywood um, movie stars. They just look like regular folks and they're it's great to watch them voice the concerns and everything. So yeah, that scene was great. And I think the line they use is that they're sick of show tunes. They really hate yeah, it. We're sick of show tunes. What was really kiss me, Kate, the king and I. Yeah. <laughs> What's really funny is that I think that now we interpret musicals as kind of a highbrow intellectual thing to see, rather than being. Oh, you mean like on Broadway or something? Yeah. It's like a very expensive, like sort of like a, um, what's the Wicked or whatever. It's kind of well, a big I, yeah. Book well, of Mormon. Well, Wicked is, Wicked and Book of Mormon are actually very pop culture, uh, very, not very, yeah. uh, what would I call it? Um, I guess intellectual I don't know uh, things um, to watch. But it was really funny because they really, the, uh, what Women's on Fire in that town, they love yeah, what Women. True. But it seems like nowadays they would be in, uh, 
similar company. If you like Walt Women, you probably really like theater. You sure, but I feel like a lot of people today feel that musicals are pretty corny just because you know the, the biggest complaint with musicals it's like why are they singing like that doesn't that's make true. any sense you're right, which you're right. obviously like that's such a bad argument like you know musical is it's about well the, the music. king and i is like, a very serious oh is it really yeah yeah and, 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 and maybe not king and uh kiss me kate but i think i've never seen brick of doom but i've we, we both watch a lot of sorkin yeah. and sorkin always references brick of doom, brick of doom yeah. a lot and i always Thought that Brigadoon was also a very serious musical, but uh, maybe not. Well, here's another thing just to kind of talk about since we're on the musical subject. Um, and because um, Maurice sort of like um, takes the reins of K-Bear and from Chris because it appears that, um, well, at least from my reading, I don't know if you got this from my first time watching it. I want to watch it back in the day. Uh, Maurice was not flattered by having um, basically like a homosexual identified homosexual man's yes. work broadcast on his uh on his radio station because we don't really talk about it we didn't really talk about it in the pot in the pilot but maurice is sort of seems like a very bigoted uh not very open-minded person um kind of like a clod like you know and, and so he revokes chris for playing this homosexuals art and then puts on show tunes which Another stereotype, but like a lot of people kind of relate to more of an effeminate sort of like male, like, you know, like theater men are yeah, yeah, seem yeah. to be portrayed as like thespian, effeminate sort of. Yeah. So it's kind of just a weird, like, yeah, I don't even think Maurice is on screen when he says it, but he's like, um, it's like, I'm taking over the uh, airwaves and we're going to play show tunes this whole time. Which and is just like, yeah. you know, because he's like degrading this you know, homosexual, but then it's like, I'm going to, you know, play. I'm going to go towards something that uh, generally, uh, has probably a larger population of people that, uh, would identify as homosexual. We, I guess we can go into it now because yeah. this is something that I thought was a really big point that I wanted to talk about. But later in the episode, whenever he's having that climax and he's talking about why he reacted the way he reacted. Yeah. That's thinks, actually, um, that's a great monologue. And I think we get a, you'll get a lot of those in Northern Exposure. It's usually Chris who's doing it because he's on the, you know, it's one character. He's talking to a microphone. It's just like a great monologue moment. And Maurice gives us this one, this great one in this episode. Yeah, yeah. And it's perfectly set up because he would be the man of the microphone. So it's Chris. Yeah. But it's Maurice that's doing it. And he's talking about how we don't need to cut down our heroes, that we need our heroes because we need to look up to people. And it seems to me, I know this show was broadcasted in 1990 and it was on CBS, mm -hmm. but it looks like that he, Maurice, viewed being gay as a weakness. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like his, he's, he's a very hard headed, like bigoted, like, Right. Kind of like dislikable character mm -hmm. pretty well, much the whole series. Well, I'm wondering, was that because we weren't even born at that time and we've only, you know, heard stories and tells of it. But was that a common sentiment, do you think, that was held in the 19th? And do you think most viewers oh, yeah, identified like, with them? Homophobia was like very funny, like in comedies, like in the 90s. You know, like yeah, it would be, be the classic punchline. Yeah, that would be like the punchline of jokes. It's oh, like, he likes men. Oh, or, oh no, he's, he's you know, it's, it seems like he's gay. <laughs> you know, he does something that's like sort of. Oh, yeah, like Schmidt's gay from SNL, that sketch. Oh, Schmidt's gay. Schmidt's gay. Schmidt's yeah. gay. Yeah, of or course. Or just like anytime a male and a, like two men are, are in this very awkward situation, it's like, oh, it's yeah. kind of funny because they're gay. <laughs> oh, they could you know? be or could won't be. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, it looks like they're gay, even though we know that they're totally straight. Like they're so hetero. 
but now they they have to like wear they have to pretend to be women to sneak into this you know yeah they're mad bad, straight <laughs> that's definitely a punchline like disgustingly of a lot of uh yeah yeah a lot of stuff back from like the early 1990s and I like that the show did tackle it I guess in the most graceful way that they can What's because that? I, I Maurice is acknowledging to his character that yeah, he thinks that being gay is a weakness pretty homophobic and pretty like. But that's not the thing that holds him down, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, what, what he believes doesn't hold down Walt Whitman being gay. He thinks that he's still a hero because yeah. of his works as a poet yeah. and how amazing he is at that craft. So just to bring the context, uh, Maurice in this monologue relates the situation with Walt Whitman um, being revealed as a homosexual to when Maurice was a kid, he used to watch a lot of John Wayne uh, films. And when he was a kid, he learned one of his friends told him that John Wayne didn't do any of his own fighting, which is like he didn't do any of his own stunts. So that kind of, to Maurice, um, cut down. He has a, a great line. It's, we can't, he talks about his heroes. We cannot, we cannot chop them off at the knees just to prove they're like the rest of us. Sure, we're all human, but there's damn few of us that have the right stuff to be called heroes. It's actually funny because The Right Stuff is a famous movie about astronauts. Oh, really? So it kind of ties into that theme. It's pretty interesting, like, the colorful writing. I didn't catch that at all. But, yeah, he's relating sort of, like, taking your heroes and and, um, sort of like the phenomena of, like, never meet your heroes. Yeah. Because, like, it kind of destroys some of that. um, The magic. The magic surrounding them. What's really crazy um, the, by the way, that monologue that he's giving in this whole part of the episode, my favorite part of the episode. Yeah. I, I love this. It's a great, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good writing. Like yeah. I, I've noticed whenever I'm preparing for this podcast, I'm just so focused on the dialogue and like, so I've written down a lot of my favorite lines, <laughs> which wouldn't make sense to talk about all on air, but it's just like, you could probably tell I'm trying to quote all these oh, moments yeah. that I think are great. Just some pretty good writing. No, there, the there is, there, there is really great uh, lines like you were saying right here, but I wanted to actually dig into this one a little bit more if you don't mind. But no, please, the, yeah. the heroes, he's saying you shouldn't meet your heroes. Basically, we like we like why are we cutting them down? We need heroes. But I find fault in that line of reasoning for sure. Like, yes. do you think that we should idolize these heroes and keep them as a symbol for us to try to rise toward because it's helpful for all of us as a whole? Or should we bring them more down to earth? Should we realize that they're just like me and you? They, they put on, you know, they wake up, they, they, they stub their toe on the coffee table. Yeah, I, I think there's um, validity in both sides of the argument. I think what Maurice is trying to express is that um, we need like an idol to look up to, to help us inspire us to do better and mm-hmm. be better. Um, and it's more about sort of like finding that um, source of inspiration um, it's even bigger than the person themselves. It's kind of like when we talk about separating the art from the artist. There is definitely a problem with that, as you mentioned. Uh, with celebrity um, today, you know, people can be famous just because they're a celebrity, just because they're famous. It's kind of like a weird thing. There's no real inspirational qualities necessarily just because they're rich uh, and they're beautiful. Right. Um, we, we sort of make them out to be the perfect person and we're putting the wrong people maybe on, on, the pedestal. on the pedestal. And it's not so much about like finding the, you know, someone who makes great art isn't always a good person on the inside. So maybe what Maurice is trying to say is that, you know, we should be inspired by these great works of American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but not from the people themselves. Maybe like, so. Like, the, he's like, cause if we turn them into people, if we realize that they are really people, it undercuts the, 
art itself, perhaps. But uh, does that make sense? It does. It totally makes sense. But we intellectual here. (laughs) Well, if we went into that further, wouldn't that even inspire us even more if we realized it just people? Because we're like, oh, this person who's just like me also made this amazing piece of art. If anything, it goes even further in saying we should compare them as human beings because that makes it more attainable to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that's also another way of looking at it. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you're definitely right. Like, there's some flaws to both sides of the argument. Yeah. But what Maurice is trying to do is something that is like just and right and honorable. And I think he has the right intentions. Even yeah. And if it fits is. right into his character too. I yeah. like that. It, I think it's true to his character. You're yes. Right. It, like uh, a line of reasoning doesn't have to be inherently true. It only has to be true to the character of who's speaking it. Mm-hmm. Very are, well, yeah. Again, well, well written to the character. Right. Great. Uh, so yeah, we, we get into the scene where, Joel's having trouble trying to fix his shower, or is it his toilet, or is it both? Yeah, so we got the we got the Joel um, plumbing subplot, which mm-hmm. is uh, starts off with his toilet. Maggie comes over and fixes it. Then the very next day, he realizes his shower has a problem, and so is this sort of interweaving plot where uh, Joel is sort of this uh, useless, um, emasculated man <laughs> who can't you know fix, do his own handiwork and. Uh, I think the words that Maggie says is a helpless addict. Helpless. You're an addict, a helplessness junkie. There we go. And he refers to that line again later to just kind of undercut her, you know, just oh, making yeah. fun of her. But um, Joel and Maggie kind of have this feud where Joel doesn't want to admit to her that he needs her help because she made fun of him. Uh, and then later uh, Maggie, uh, we find out, as you mentioned before, she has like a trick knee. Um, she was dancing and she zipped when she should have zagged. Oh, I love that line. And, uh, you know, Joel now has the upper hand cause Joel is the one who can cure her and he's like kind of making fun of her for like doing this bonehead. Like, why are you <laughs> dancing when you have a trick knee really fast? Just talking about that scene. There's some really great sexual tension oh, in this yeah. subplot. Joel is kind of feeling her knee and like feeling her leg and stuff and, it feels a little awkward. They kind of acknowledge that it's like, you know, he's, it is touching up, situation. he's feeling up yeah. her leg essentially because he has to, he's a doctor. And he says, don't worry, I'm a doctor, you're my patient. There's nothing weird about it. Does that hurt? No, that feels good. What I meant was it doesn't hurt. <laughs> this is very <laughs> awkward. Yeah, what do you think about their budding romance there? Well, it, it, doesn't it? It's brought out intentionally in front of everybody when they're in the library, right? Uh, uh, quote unquote, the library. Yeah, everybody at the library. But yeah, um, yeah, because he Ruth says Ann's like, story. Yeah, yeah, because he says like, "Oh, you clearly like like me." I think is what he says. And it makes you uncomfortable. You're and it makes you uncomfortable. Sexually, are you clearly attracted to me, or maybe he says sexually attracted, but. You're clearly attracted to me, and it makes you uncomfortable. Yes, they did not beat around the bush very long on that, and I guess they didn't in the pilot because he does acknowledge while he's you know incredibly drunk that he thinks of her as very uh, attractive. Pretty, yeah, it's like yeah. in a clean sort of way. So. Yeah, in a clean sort of way. And now in the second episode, he's just coming out and saying, "It's like, well, you clearly like me, yeah, uh, or like just like me physically." Um, the way that scene is shot is really good. So it's uh, alternating coverage between yeah. Joel and Maggie, yeah. and the camera moves with them as they. Um, go, down the aisle. go down the aisle. They're on separate sides of the aisle, so the camera keeps switching back and forth, and it has this beautiful swaying back and forth motion because the camera is kind of bellowing with them. It's like motion. There's a lot, there's some good motion in this episode. Um, it's got almost like dancing, you know. Yeah, it's got that sort of dancing feel. You're right. Um, 
And, and you studied this. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this. When the camera is going back and forth like that between those two characters of uh, Maggie and Joel, and it keeps, mm-hmm. like you said, it's kind of swaying and it's kind of dancing. Is the camera movements itself meant to be symbolic of the scene that's taking place? Kind of like a like a, like you say something and I say something, something right back, like a very back and forth ping pong sort of situation. Is that the camera movement? Is that going along with it? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of artistic interpretation for why a shot would be used for a specific part of the scene. Mm-hmm. But I think the intention, at least in my uh, interpretation, the intention of the director for choosing th- this method of covering the scene is that he read the script, he felt like the tension, um, he felt sort of like you said, maybe there's like some ping pong back and forth. And a lot of times maybe it's just kind of like getting the actors in a space and seeing how they rehearse mm-hmm. and putting them into different blocking and saying like, all right, you try try your line when you're over here. Um, but no, I definitely think there's probably an intention of that sort of dancing back and forth. Yeah. Um, it just injects the scene with, uh, energy, like just moving the camera gives it energy because there's clearly like chemistry between them that they're trying to set up. Mm -hmm. So we all, we not only have the acting, uh, the great chemistry between the two actors is apparent on camera, but the camera's sort of trying to enhance that with giving it like a movement and some energy. Yes. Yes. I love that. Uh, also, I, I guess this is uh, um, branching off from that subplot is that he visits, uh, Joel visits Chris to go tend to his wounds when he's um, out there in the lake. Yeah. So what do you yeah. think about Chris's uh, whole digs, like where he lives? He just lives out there. I believe that's actually his house, right? His yeah. quote is unquote it like house? an Airstream trailer or it's just a trailer? It's yeah, it's like just like a, like a dinky small trailer. dinky trailer. Like he's he got said. some... Um, Sculpture, some metal sculptures. Like he's a, apparently he, he alludes to being an artist and he works in metal. Yeah. He works over there and he, he takes his showers in the lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With there. And I think the funniest scene is uh, his, I guess, lover. Or oh, yeah. Someone comes out of the trailer while Joel is uh, diagnosing Chris or just checking yes. up, doing a little house call on Chris. This uh, attractive young blonde walks out of the trailer with like breakfast. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. She walks out with breakfast and Joel's obviously flabbergasted. I don't think he's, to his mind, he's like, I've never seen anyone this attractive in this whole entire town. And he has to ask um, yeah, Joel's Chris. curious. Joel, Joel is curious. I'm wondering, do you think that ages well? Like, do you think that's fine that they that he's so brazen at so, asking him? Uh, like... A huga or like yeah, hubbada, hubbada. yeah, it's a little weird. Like you can tell, um, they do get into this later in the series. It being a small town and like there's definitely sexual tension with all the characters mm-hmm. and stuff. So they do kind of talk about that sort of, basically, for lack of a better term, like horniness. Like you know, like <laughs> they have. A, there's not a lot of people in town, so they don't really. Yeah, you know, either they do get together or they don't really. It's not a very promiscuous show, so most people are just like. I'm stranded here with no, like, no mate, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, but let's see. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it that way, but you might have a point. Like, what is your, do you have, do you take offense from that? Like, today, watching a scene like that where two men are just kind of like ogling over this. I wouldn't say I take offense, but I would say that those types of scenes wouldn't happen they anymore. Wouldn't happen or, geez, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to think how they would even approach that subject. I, I guess. So, well, didn't mean to cut you off, but I no, think okay. the intention of this scene, uh, the purpose of it, is to show that Chris has a sort, a certain um, attractiveness, 
I don't want to spoil too much, but Chris is like basically a chick magnet. Um, <laughs> and it's played for humor. Never, I hope, we'll see. Maybe we'll rewatch it and, and our minds will change, but I hope it's never played for sort of like that um, weird kind of like male gaze. Uh, right, it's like an object for him to it's obtain just, and trophies to show around in his dinky trailer. It's more like he's so, sort of this supernatural chick magnet. And it'll develop in another episode later, but as you can see in this episode, he finds this girl from Boston just from walking around in the woods. He tells Joel, he's like, I just saw her. She was walking in the woods. And, you know, I, I think the purpose of the scene was to establish sort of like Chris obviously physically attractive, but in the script, it's like, yeah, this is a guy who's attractive to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I don't know what purpose it necessarily serves in this episode. I think it serves that, I, I guess there is some subtext to the line of like, I just found her out in the woods. Like not, you find something really great just by wondering, like not through the straightforward path of what you think you would find them. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's a very Chris in the morning thing. You know, he's very... uh sort of like judo or something. Is judo the one where you're like, you act like water? He's very um, stoic and laid back. That's sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> like I have he's no like, idea. He's got the judo approach. Yeah. Like, just let it, just take it, uh, how life approaches it. Okay. I think we're pretty much wrapping up most of our storylines, but let's talk about Anku maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, so Uncle Anku, uh, we talked about earlier. He's the shaman, witch doctor who we realize does have prostate cancer, which is what Joel um, suspected whenever Ed tells Joel that Uncle Anku has been, um, you know, urinating blood. Like he's got blood in his urine. Can I um, just say that I really, I really like Ed being very concerned yeah. for an individual. Because in the in the pilot, you kind of get the sense that he's a very... Happy-go-lucky kind of goofy. Yeah, he just gets out of his truck and walks into the woods type of fella. Yeah. But on this one, in the entire episode, he is concerned for his uncle. Yeah, he, there's that's a all he cares about. Amazing scene. Again, we got that telephoto storefront shot where Joel and Ed are like walking towards the camera, very long lens. Um, there's like a dog in the street. That's you know, there's always walk. dogs <laughs> yeah. in the streets. I, I I even have that down. It's like there's yeah, always. Dog. It's not the same dog we have a either. Dog counter. Yeah, they get they get all the it's like, neighbors' dogs and yeah, it's yeah. because I think the first one in the is a German Shepherd. This one's like uh, oh yeah. Another thing about Charles, this is your show, man, because Charles is a dog <laughs> lover. He can identify a dog just from like seeing one still image of a dog. How else would you identify the dog? Not through right. sight. I guess you're right. <laughs> no, no. I, I love dogs, but that's you, ordinarily you don't see that in a lot of shots. It's just yeah. a dog in the streets, and there's no owner. It's not like anyone's watching it. Yeah. Uh, he's just out there. And um, but yeah, so that's the the reason I was bringing up that scene is um, what you're talking about is Ed being very concerned, and we see it a lot in that scene because Ed. He can't vocalize it, but he just kind of stands there. And Joel's like, "What are you doing? Like, get away!" Like, there's even a line in that, now that you bring that up, where yeah. I think Joel says, "Like, uh, just, just quit staring at me like that. You're like yeah. a Bergman film." It's like I hate Bergman films. Enough with that northern. Uh, what I don't get that reference. I know it's Ingmar Bergman. Yeah, and so I know that he's a famous film director, but Bergman is uh, classified as like yeah, very. Um, a lot of his films are classified as kind of very dramatic, brooding. Um, I would say maybe probably not a lot of dialogue, almost kind of like silent films. Oh. And just seeing like the characters, I want to say also he probably did a lot of close-ups and stuff where it's just like a person's face kind of brooding. Um, but uh, Okay. Yeah, it's, that makes sense. Okay, that's yeah. why Joel says that line. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, I, you know, Bergman was very popular as a um, 
sort of like a foreign filmmaker that would probably be played in New York cinemas a lot, you know, like uh, foreign films, you know. Got it. Um, is it just me or is that the first pop culture reference other um, than the musicals that have been throughout this episode? No, I mean, there's definitely probably been some musical references in the first episode. They mentioned Woody Allen. In the, you're right. In the they, they mentioned Woody Allen. You're right. You're right. I was just trying to. Uh, there's definitely, yeah. I mean. That one just caught me off guard because it was such a. Something you didn't really pick up on necessarily. You're like, I wonder what that means. Yeah, because yeah. Bergman is a little bit more niche. Yeah. Um, I know you're a huge fan of like Gilmore Girls, which has a pop reference, a pop culture reference a minute. Like, I no, not even a minute. Like, every oh, 20 seconds. Geez, not, like, oh. No, a minute is generous yeah. if like they're not doing a pop culture reference. They have one yeah. every line. But uh, let's go back to uh, uh, the Uncle Anka. Yeah. And yeah, he's diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. Is that it might the one? Be prostate, prostate I'm cancer. Not really sure. Yeah, I think um, it's like prostate. It's something that's not voting well, and he has to. Joel has to do a lot of house calls, and he has to keep going to him. Yeah, because Anku, as we said, is very deflective. He's he's very like, prideful. Uh, well, let's, let's not get there just yet, because okay. I wanted I want to talk about probably one of my favorite scenes in the episode. Um, before we learn about everyone's pride, uh, one of my favorite scenes of the episode is Joel's making a house call and. Um, maybe the second or third time you've seen Anku, but we join Anku in the living room watching TV. And um, literally the first line of dialogue is just something like no one would ever say um, when you're watching TV. He's mm-hmm. like, they're not even talking about what's on the news, but Anku says, uh, Dan looks rather tired. Like Dan rather. Yeah, kind of yeah. funny too. Dan rather. Dan looks rather tired. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, boy. he's just talking about the anchor. They're not even like really watching or listening to it. And um, <sighs> Anku says something like, yeah, you know, he's probably overworked. Um, but I'm a one anchor type man. It's like, yes, what does that even mean? Like, I, when do you say that? Like, he's just like not talking about anything specifically. He's very good at like kind of deflecting. Yeah, and, you're and right. Focusing on like very, uh, not subliminal, but like on like the surface, surface level? level stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's not getting into the nitty gritty. He's not actually discussing the news, mm-hmm. like what Dan Rathers was yeah. talking about, about that. What was it like four people being killed in yeah, South, Africa? South Africa? Some sort of That's terrible right. crime. <laughs> he was just saying like, oh, he looks... And the makeup department didn't do a good job on Dan Rather today. Um, Uh, Yeah, so you're right. That's something that generally doesn't happen. That's your favorite scene, though? Well, the reason, because not that line. I'm just just the way we get into it. But uh, my my favorite part of this, uh, my favorite thing about this scene is when when Anku teaches Joel sort of the dance steps. It's a way, it's a method of deflecting. He's like, let me me ask you something. Have you ever... um, you ever, you know, learn to dance? Do you dance a lot? Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel doesn't want to do it, but Anku convinces him to start doing these steps that kind mm-hmm. of do this, uh, like chanting step across yeah. the living room. And then Anku's like, all right, I'll be right back. Just keep it going. And, uh, Joel is sort of like left alone. The, the shot stays static. It's a wide shot. Yeah. They don't ever cut away. Anku leaves. Joel's like alone in the frame again. Uh, you know, like I said, I love shots that it sort of end in this full shot, wide shot. And also the score in this episode is, has some very tasteful sort of like pan flute, it like very does. Native American type of uh, type of music that I th- actually think is very minimal and is a huge improvement on the sort of, again, I'm not trying to rag on the harmonica theme, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's a really nice touch. Maybe it's a little cheesy, but I love the score in this in this scene. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that's the one thing that caught me too was the use of all the pan flutes um, and some harmonica here or there throughout this entire episode. But yeah, he's going through and dancing with them and he leads them astray. And uh, Ed even knows about that play. That's like, apparently it's a classic like, play. Oh yeah, he did that again. Yeah. Well, you're going to see him tomorrow, right? And Joel's like, I don't want to chase my patients. Oh, before, before he even goes into there, he's, uh, 
he, he steps into his office to yeah. say that, and the sign says close. And he says, like, what does that sign say out there? And he says, like, oh, is that a trick question or something? Is that a trick question? That's and then he just keeps walking in. I think I, I, think I laughed out loud. That like, is great, right? Don't we uh, love Ed? He's just, like, one of the greatest characters. Yeah. Um, but before we get to Pride, because we're going to wrap it all up in the end here, because the episode does have a way of kind of tying itself up in a nice bow. But before we just get like there, in a nice show, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk about uh, Think Like a Fish. So yes. when, uh, again, Joel is uh, seeing Anku uh, in the sweat lodge that he sort of has. Uh, the sauna? The sauna, you're right. Uh, so when they're sitting in the sauna, uh, another way that Anku sort of deflects uh, the conversation is he talks about um, his sauna breaking at one point in the past and Anku didn't want to ship it back to the manufacturer to have it repaired. So he had to learn how to repair it himself because they're talking sort of about Joel's plumbing problems and Anku's trying to tell a story that could deflect from his own health and also kind of like tell a bigger picture. And he says, uh, I had this old buddy from Chicago who we used to go fishing and when I would fish with him, I would catch so many fish. My buddy from Chicago would also always ask, uh, Anku, why are you so good at catching fish. And um, his reply is, if you want to catch a fish, you have to think like a fish. And so Joel's like, so if you want to fix a sauna, you got to think like a sauna, which is like sort of like this ambiguous, sort of like doesn't really make sense line, but it also just feels like so profound that I bought into it. as like a, <laughs> when I saw it, you know, in high school or whenever it was when I watched the show the first time, I really like that sort of uh, outside of the box thinking. I don't really understand it, but somehow it worked for Anku, and somehow I want to understand it. I don't know. Did that line affect you at all? Now, I, I did actually have to pause and, and think like, about what? it. <laughs> like, what? Like, yeah. what just happened? First, I thought it was just a throwaway comedic line. Yeah. It, it comes up just... later when Anku is uh, referencing. It's not. It's an indirect reference, but Anku sort of like uh, refers to Joel and Maggie's um, relationship because he's like, Later, when Anku uh, meets Joel, he's yeah, like, yeah. you know, I decided I'm going to see a specialist. Yeah. Um, you know what? You're a pretty nice guy. I like that. Anku tells Joel, like, you're a pretty nice guy. I really like that line. And he says, but she doesn't really think too hot of you. And it cuts to a shot of Maggie. And there's sort of this pause. And Anku says, if you want to catch a fish, you got to think like a fish. Oh. So I guess it's like trying to be like this, another father figure for you that you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, like, third father. Yeah. <laughs> Joel's third father. Um, yeah, so right there. Trying to be a father and like being like, look, son, if you want to get the girl, you got to think like, a, I, don't, I don't know what that's, that line's I, about. Yeah. Well, I think that it has a lot of merits to it because I think in a lot of ways, I think he's trying to say like perspective. Like think about it, what it would be like in their shoes, which yeah. kind of ties into pride because Joel was finally trying to see it from yeah. uh, Uncle Anko's eyes. It's also a great advice for a doctor. Like they're both doctors in their own right, Anku and Joel. Yeah. Empathy, you know? Exactly. That's like kind of, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I like that the show focuses on that uh, part of medicine. Mm -hmm. And even while it can feel like a big picture, sort of like textbook medicine, it kind of focuses on the smaller, the smaller stories, you know? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess we're just going to go into the uh, pivotal the pride. pride. Let's talk the pride about it, yeah. I like how Joel has the realization about the pride because yeah. he's talking about it's how all, all damn pride. They say damn. He's like, it's all pride. It's all just pride, Anku. Yeah, it's all just pride. All these people, all uh, Chris and Maurice, uh, Maggie, Anku, Maggie, Anku, Anku. And then Maurice is like, wait, who was the last one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a, oh, sorry, that's a dumb. But 
it, it, and then he realizes it, it's almost I guess I don't know, I don't think it's intentional but like in musicals there's usually a um, like, like a, a climax pivotal, or something or? there's a pivotal scene where they realize the thing that they're doing or the thing they want to do it's called the I want song where they right. don't it's a great yeah. tie into musicals go ahead yeah it's a great tie into musicals where they're saying like oh I'm suddenly now realizing why things aren't going as planned or why I need to do this thing and it, it's like a eureka moment kind of like an epiphany I guess and he has that right at that episode. Yeah. And he was like, oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm prideful. Like, yeah. uh, hang on. Like, I let me try to fix this. Like, if I have to be a critic, um, I, love, I love this episode so much. Um, I guess, like, you could criticize it being like, it's kind of plainly written. It's, like, very explicit. You know, it's like, he says, he admits, like, this is, is like, it's all about pride. Like, this is the theme of the episode. Yeah. He, kinda, he kind of ties it up for the audience. Um, so it's not really, nothing is necessarily left to the audience uh, to figure out themselves, which is not necessarily bad. I mean, they did a really good job of constructing three separate plots that all sort of have this underlying theme of pride. And maybe it's a little blunt in pointing it out to us, but I like seeing that. And I think uh, some of the better episodes of Northern Exposure are these 40-minute, like 50-minute episodes where a lot of different things are going on, but there is this great through line that shows... Um, the different variations on the theme. Like there's three different plot lines, but they all kind of have that element of, in this case, pride. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I like that, you know, Joel swallows his pride because he, he had told uh, Ed before. Yeah. He's like, well, the, the doctors. Scene, right? Or what were you going to say? Go ahead. Oh, uh, well, he was no, telling Ed, he was like, well, doctors don't chase patients. It's yeah. the other way around. Patients come see doctors. I'm yeah. in my office in my climate controlled office having doing whatever I want. You yeah. guys come to me. But at the end when he realizes that it's his pride that stops him from seeing uh, Uncle Anko, mm -hmm. he goes uh, yeah. and talks to him more. You're a pretty good guy. You know, like Joel's yeah. a pretty good guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're right. And then uh, if we want to talk about the last scene, I think that's a great example of, um, because we've seen sort of the resolution um, Maurice realizes um after talking to joel sorry we're we're not we're still backtracking but uh i want to talk about the resolution of the maurice and chris scene yes uh, maurice talks to joel and joel's uh set he's like can i be frank with you maurice uh your personality is like locks or olives or a strong cup of coffee it, it's an acquired taste and then maurice is like so what you're saying is i'm too different and he's like yeah that's that's it you know so basically joel uh, illuminates this idea to uh, Maurice that, um, you know, Maurice needs to kind of like see himself from other people's point of view. Yes. And Maurice ends up forgiving Chris and giving the radio station back to Chris because he realizes Maurice doesn't really like it when people are mad at him. <laughs> uh, and he, he does see that Chris is a great host. So Maurice swallows his pride. Um, as you said, Joel swallows his pride to go see Anku. Anku's, uh, you know, gives up his pride to um, to actually go see a specialist in the end. And then now we're at the last scene. Sorry to keep backtracking. No, no, no. It's okay. But I love this beautiful nighttime lighting where Joel makes a quote-unquote house call to see Maggie. Yes. To check on her knee. Mm -hmm. But you can, he can tell he's really just, he's looking for someone to talk to. He, he admits that he's homesick, but maybe he has a little crush on Maggie. Mm -hmm. But um, what do you think of this last sequence here? Uh, yeah, I did like this last sequence. And... I think it's because Joel, throughout that same day, had that breakthrough realization. It's yeah, like, oh, wait, right. I'm in the same boat. I'm also being prideful. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the states of mind, you almost want to go talk to another person. So, of course, the person he seeks out is Maggie. And you can see it in 
is really great acting. You can see it in his face where he's kind of elated and really happy because yeah. he's realizing he's just having these great he's got that breakthrough. He's yeah, got this breakthroughs and he's ha- and he's talking to the person that he wants to talk to. And yeah. he's also doing it in like he's <laughs> if I guess it feels good for him to put on his doctor shoes and doctor hat and, you know, actually do his job and he gives her the proper medicine and he's being really great and generous. But then when, I believe his name is Rick, yeah, right? Yeah, that's so funny. You're when Rick right. comes out uh, naked, yeah. uh, obviously in great boxers, fit. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. just boxers. And, <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of nice shirtless Joel in this episode too, since we're on the topic. Uh, <laughs> in the sauna. <laughs> yeah, the sauna, the shower, jumping in the lake. Like he takes his shirt off a couple that's times. True. That's true. It's a side true. of Joel we haven't necessarily seen yet. But uh, but no, yeah, sorry. Get back to Rick. Yeah, yeah. And Rick's boxers. Rick. <laughs> Rick and his boxers comes out and um, he's asking Maggie you know, who it is. And she's like, oh, it's just, you know. House call. House call right there. And and he. It's like, see you in the sack. Yeah, just see you in the sack. And he kind of just doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe he's just setting that up, just yeah. setting up some undertones. And then when he goes away and then yeah. the scene cuts back to Joel, he's a lot more. Uh, serious. Like he's kind of like, um, like he basically got splashed with some cold water. He's like, yes. Okay, and he's right. also sadder too. Yeah. Because he realizes yeah. the reality of the situation, but also he's he's in a relationship himself. Yeah, it's it's like he's he's figuring things out. Um, maybe he has a crush on Maggie. He misses Elaine. Uh, can we just talk real fast about Maggie's reaction to Rick? Like when Rick leaves the frame, Maggie starts to close the door, and she she gets like a sort of like a ugh, like a look to Joel. Like it's just a great yes. reaction shot. She's so beautiful. She's so gorgeous in this scene with like the the nighttime lighting. Um, and that reaction shot's so good. Like, I, I want to pull a still of it. It's hilarious. You going to reaction Jeff it? Yeah, probably. It, there's literally no dialogue. It's just all told in this expression. Um, but here's what I really like about um, the ending of this scene is I, I want to say like the, the structural reason for the scene is to sort of reach the conclusion of the Maggie-Joel feud. And it's like you said, Joel has had this epiphany and he kind of swallows his pride and he's like, basically like kind of going to clear things up with Maggie and there's no like direct thread for this. It's almost sort of an indirect um, reaction from Maggie. But the very end of the scene is like, um, I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow, Maybe I'll come over and uh, fix your plumbing. You know, like yeah. they, they basically, they don't really talk about plumbing at all, but they come to terms. They're like, they're, they're on good terms at the end of the scene. And I love how it's not, you know, there could this scene could have been written in a scene. There's, you know, sorry, a bad writer would have made it a lot more direct. Like they're yeah. talking about things that happened in the episode, but they're kind of like, oh, we're talking about the plumbing more directly. It's like, uh, I'm sorry, Maggie, I really need your help, and I recognize that I um, kind of uh, was a buffoon and I was kind of mean and arrogant to you. Like that would be an example of bad writing, but it's so indirect and it's still flirty. Yeah, and you can tell that they're not directly saying what they want. But you can tell that what they mean, what they what they mean is what they want, you know. Right. And they end up forgiving each other, sort of in a very indirect way. Just great writing, and the way the scene ends is Joel does a little bit of like a dance, yeah, a little jig, a little jig. <laughs> we got the pan flute music that evolves into uh, sort of the Northern Exposure theme, mm-hmm. like as really we fade nice to touch. black. Yeah. Great music. Uh, there's a line in the scene that I like. Uh, Joel says something about dancing. It's like, if they taught dancing in med school, we'd probably all be better doctors. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it sounds like a silly line, but it's yeah. probably true. Sicily is shaping Joel a little bit. Uh-huh. We're only in the second episode and he's kind of 
like I said, like he's very appreciative of the shaman, the medicine man. He's mm-hmm. inquisitive. Joel is learning a lot about uh, not only his patients, but himself. I have to say that throughout this entire episode, I kind of felt like Joel in a yeah. little bit where I was on the outside environment because I'm used – my favorite shows, of course, are really – uh, Sorkin, of course, like West Wing is my favorite right. show of all time. Big, big and, West Wing fan. And I'm a, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of Gilmore Girls. I know you brought it up earlier. Uh-huh. And uh, Community I'm a big fan of, uh, Casual from uh, Hulu. But these shows generally talk really quickly or just like uh, like a very stylized um, dialogue. And right. this one is a lot more slower paced. It's something I'm not For usually sure. used to. I've seen – I've definitely watched television shows like this, but I would not consider it my favorite. Yeah. So in a way – I think I'm trying to come to terms of how to properly, I guess, like how to, how to ingest it. Yes, exactly. How to properly ingest this show. Yeah. Um, Cause it's not like I had a bad time watching this yeah. episode. I had a great time watching this episode. Just kind of changing gears a little. Yeah, so. exactly. It's like I had to change my uh, train of thought, like your speed of thought. Yes, exactly. Well, I hope that inspires in you some uh, introspection. Like, cause one of the, like we talked about already, in this podcast is one of the great things about the show is it gives you like moments of thought. Like you can take it, take your time to yes. ingest and think about what you just saw. Mm-hmm. A lot of still moments at the same time, there is a lot of, um, you'll see the, I mean already, but there's some dialogue that is pretty quippy and like back and forth. It's not a hundred percent throughout, but they have sequences of a uh, fast dialogue that I think you'll appreciate. But on the whole, it does feel like, a, um, like a longer, form sort of drama right you know, and you have to you have to learn how to revel in the silence yeah. you have to be able to come to terms with that rather than filling up every space with dialogue every free real estate that you can find uh so yeah that's how i felt a little bit throughout the episode and i think maybe that's why i didn't like this one as much yeah. because i was gone from the honeymoon phase of the pilot yeah. and i was like wait let me let me see what this show is actually what about is show? Yeah, what, yeah. What, what's going on here they're starting to flex their true muscles and hopefully it'll grow on you because i hope you'll stick around for the yeah. rest we'll see what happens but is there anything else you wanted to maybe talk about like that that might have like set you off or that you didn't necessarily like about this episode or was it pretty much just the fact of the just the format of the show is a little slow maybe i guess yeah the format of the show was a little uh slow pace and i think you had brought it up earlier where you said that you know it is a standard three subplots yeah. a plot b plot c plot and they tied it up at the end he's got the eureka moment the i want song and then he mm-hmm. goes straight into the resolution and it's still really good writing but it, it's not like i said in the uh, the pilot it's not revolutionary i feel oh, yet yeah. it hasn't gotten there yet yeah it hasn't gotten um, there yet i'm not seeing why the show won well, 27 emmys we'll get there i think um trying not to spoil as much as I can. I think the show um, is starting to evolve. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of this first season, remember the first two seasons are very short. I think seven or eight episodes each. Yeah. At the end of this first season, they try something really out there mm-hmm. and uh, they realize that like, that's what we want the show to be. And oh. it becomes a little more, we, I don't know. Let's wait. You know, I think, I think you're going to have fun. It does some fun things that a lot of shows um, of the time weren't trying. I, I mean, again, this show I think ran during the same time as Twin Peaks, which was very um, sort of like oddball, very almost experimental in its format. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was Northern Exposure as well was kind of trying some some new things. Uh, but I think you'll you'll appreciate. Oh, okay, got um, it. But I do want you to be a critic here too. Like I I've already expressed I love this show. This is your <laughs> first time watching it, so please like. Anytime you can see anything that sticks out to you, let me know. I think you're doing a great job already, just kind of like 
you know, putting me in check, like, you know, <laughs> would, the, would this scene play out the same way if it were made in, you know, 2019, you know? Yeah. All right. So before we end this podcast, uh, I'm going to introduce a new segment to the podcast. Like I said, our mission is to um, get this show in front of as many new viewers as possible, get a new audience, because this was a, a relatively popular show when it was airing and then kind of fell off and no one really talks about it. You hear it kind of brought up by some celebrities nowadays. They're like, oh yeah, I loved, that's like top 10 list, Northern Exposure's there. But your general public probably has never seen the show, most likely because it's not never been available on streaming. You can only watch it if you have the DVDs. I think that's a strong reason that's why. definitely, I don't know if, we'll, we'll have to do some but research, but maybe maybe one day it'll come to streaming. I don't know what, where it lives right now. Yeah, but. but that's you're definitely right. Like, not a lot of people know about this show. Mm. When you think of 90s television sitcoms, you think of Friends, Seinfeld. Yeah, um, like later 90s stuff too. The, yeah, it was later 90s. Mm. But even in early 90s, I think the most popular one was uh, Murphy Brown. There's also Never on CBS. Heard of that show, yeah. Oh, super, uh, super famous. I hope I'm not saying that name wrong. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's Murphy Brown. Uh, cheers, but that was like late '80s. Okay, but yeah, still this around one, the same era. Around I the guess. same era of television, and this one always gets drowned out. You never hear about this one. So yeah, the, with the segment, what we're trying to do is that we're trying to introduce more people to this show and get their opinions. Yes, yeah, so uh, brief opinions, and it's kind of they don't have any context. Yeah, on so these, right? I, I asked my friend Beal to watch the second episode um, without ever having seen the pilot any or any other episode of the show. So he's going in with a completely blank slate and um, we'll see what he has to say about it. Yeah. I just want to preface by saying that I've never seen the show before and I had actually never heard of it before, but I found it a really enjoyable watch. Uh, the first thing that jumped out at me is it has a great theme song with some really excellent moose acting. Like, how did they get the moose to... I don't know. It just kind of blew my mind. Um, there's a lot of, like, casual metaphor in this show that I liked. And I didn't really get what every metaphor was supposed to mean. Like, the keys work on everyone's house. The toilet, like, maybe it just naturally doesn't work. That's the state it exists in. I'm not really sure, like, what it's saying, but... I don't know. I found it cool. It has this cool 90s feel... It's very, like, cozy, but it's kind of smart. Everyone's talking about their feelings. I love it. Um, it's kind of like Twin Peaks, but no one is, like, dying or hallucinating. It's just everyone's kind of living in this town. Um, cool jackets and cool hair. And, yeah, I don't know. I love the, like, theme of this episode about pride and reaching out for help and, like, people's hesitance to really reach out for help when they need it. Uh, it really resonates today. Um, and then I loved just kind of the resolution of everyone doing that, like reaching out to each other in their own way. Um, yeah, I thought it was really nice. It's a nice show. I'll probably watch some more of this show if I can. Oh, yeah, I like the old KFC buckets whenever they're eating chicken. Yeah, so that was Beale's thoughts. Uh... Yeah, that really is great moose acting. I don't know why I never thought about that before, but they must have had like a... There's an animal wrangler for yeah, sure. An animal, animal handler. Yeah, uh, animal handler. Yeah, to make sure where the moose was directed, which direction to go. Well, it's a good thing that we brought the moose up again because we haven't seen the moose except for the theme song, right? There's no moose in episode no. one or two, right? The only animals we've seen <laughs> are dogs. Yeah. So, I mean, this show is supposedly about a doctor and a moose, but we don't see any more moose, I guess. Uh, Beale's going to be so pissed off whenever he watches episode three. 
There's no false, news. False advertising right there. I, I like how he compares it to Twin Peaks, though, the aesthetics yeah. of it. And I know they were made at the same time, so maybe like the... Um, just that 90s, just like the same... It's a moment in time, like captured. Yeah, you know, exactly. Even though they're widely different oh, subjects, you know, uh, on completely different spectrums. Yeah, like, it, still, like Bill said, like well, you know, one is that like, town folks are getting murdered. And this one, the worst that's going to happen is that your toilet doesn't work. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was interesting that Bill pointed out some like very deep metaphors. Like he he mentioned the thing about uh, the keys working on everyone's door and the toilet being broken, like as its natural state. Maybe that's like kind of looking at it a little too too much of a microscope. But is there anything in the episode that like, is there anything that might maybe went over your head? Like, I thought what could that be about. I thought maybe <laughs> the poem might have gone over my head. Right. Uh, what was that? It was the, uh, it was the, What was it? You you yeah. Tell me what it was. Yeah, I think it was called. Uh, I, I know it began with <laughs> lilacs. Yeah, it? I already forgot. We're it. recording this uh, like a week after we started recording. We were waiting on Beal to to submit his uh, analysis, but uh, yeah. So we've already forgotten what the. Walt Whitman poem was, <laughs> but I do remember it was, I had said it was elegiac. It was like sort of mournful, sorrowful. Yeah. It was talking about Abraham Lincoln's death. Definitely uh, went over my head. I don't see how that, I'm sure there's a meaning, like they had to pick one poem. So right, that that's, one. I'm wondering why they picked that one poem. I still thought about it whenever we were done recording. I was thinking like, why were they, why would they go with that poem? Other than the fact that it's a beautiful poem. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have to read the poem from start to finish now. Like I, you know, it's been a week and I still haven't read it. So <laughs> Shame since on it's you. come up twice in one episode, I will read the poem. And if I have any uh, comments, I'll, I'll bring them up in the next episode. But that was the only one that I thought yeah. had, uh, that I was trying to dig for a deeper meaning into. Mm-hmm. What about you? Is there any other scenes? No, I think that one takes the cake for like something that it definitely means something. But uh, I mean, apart from the think like a fish, like I still don't know what that necessarily means, but it still has an effect. You know, maybe, maybe yeah. that's... Um, Another thing that I liked about Beale's, uh, his uh, review, um, something that we didn't really touch on, Beale points out the theme of the episode being about pride, but what affected him um, was how all the characters, not only are they prideful, but they learn that they want to reach out and ask for help from others. That's something we didn't really talk about, but that's like, that's what every character does. It's like they have that moment of pride and then they, they do like a a 180 and really the beautiful sort of turn of the episode is when Anku comes back and consults with Dr. Joel, you know, Dr. Fleischman and whenever Joel and Maggie let down their guard, you know, and when, when Maurice decides to give Chris his radio show back, that's kind of a big part of the theme is characters not necessarily forgiving each other, forgiving each other, but also asking for help, like kind of reaching out and, you know, forming these bonds. Yeah. We never really uh, hit on that point. You're right. And now that I'm thinking about it further, really the only time you ever go to a doctor is for help, right? There's yeah. no other reason to go to a doctor. So you only, well, I guess you could set up for any profession. Now that I'm, maybe I'm digging a little bit too far here. But <laughs> yeah, I, you're right. I think that in the episode, there were lots of characters having to go be in a state of vulnerability and having to go to another person and say like, hey, I actually, can you please help me out out of this uh, situation that I'm in? All the characters had to experience that. And it is. I agree with that. It is really hard to ask for people's help sometimes. Yeah. Like you're, you're, It sounds so easy to watch in movies and television shows, but in real life, it, that's a real burden. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think they, this episode does its best to kind of like um, express that, that feeling of, you know, having to ask for help 
whenever you have a lot of pride. You know what's crazy is that this is uh, episode two. Yeah. It's the second episode. That's a heavy topic to tackle. A lot oh, of okay. Yeah. yeah, a lot of, a lot of oh, TV shows. This is a good shows. show. That's what I'm trying to say, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of TV shows don't tackle a subject as heavy as... Well, not mm-hmm. that, it's not that it's heavy. It's not that it's heavy. It's just like not action-oriented. It's not like on the surface, it's not necessarily intriguing or like um, like doesn't like... It's not riveting, I guess is what a critic would call it. But, <laughs> but it is like something that's uh, kind of profound, like on a, a quiet level, you know? Yeah, which I think is... You know, that's a lot of what the show Very is. Very kind of like low stakes, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, like Bill saying, like everyone's just going around the town talking about how they feel. Talking about their feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great town. I honestly think that's a good policy to have in a town if the mayor was like, hey, you got to talk about how you're <laughs> feeling. Your <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we'd run the therapist out of business. <laughs> yes. And of course... uh Beal's final comment was the uh, KFC chicken. We forgot to talk about that. In oh, our, yeah. In our <laughs> I didn't catch that. But uh, thanks for that recap, Beal, because, yes, they do eat buckets of KFC chicken. That's sponsorship. Coleslaw. He gets a, an extra serving of coleslaw. Yes. Do you think well, KFC yeah. got him a sponsorship I on that? I don't think so. But, yeah, I don't think so. There's not really product placement. Because here's the thing about product placement um, and Northern Exposure. Can you tell me what kind of beer they drink at any point in this show? I, I haven't in these first two episodes they're drinking beer, but I can never see the labels. Oh, you're um, right. There's a there's a great neon sign in the brick that says uh, Pyramid Ales. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've seen it yet, but you'll definitely see it a lot. There's a neon sign that's, that says Pyramid Ales, so I assume they drink some of that. But I haven't seen any beer labels, uh, though they do. You know, a lot of the sh- a lot of the content of this show is, takes place in a bar. So yeah, you're right. I don't know exactly what what. So, Go ahead. One thing you got to really watch out for, and I knew that it was really popular in the 2000s. I don't know if they did it in the 1990s, but uh, Let's Potato Chips. That's a, So whenever it's potato okay. chips are shown in television shows, it's never Lay's, it's Let's. Oh, it's like an off-brand. Well, that, what television show are you thinking of? I think they do it in the Community. They do it in New Girl, I believe, and I think they do it in 30 Rock as well. Are those well. all NBC shows? No. New Girl's... Fox. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're Fox. Okay, so there's not. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna. I think they just do it because it's just an easy product, right? Like a prop. Well, I have. was gonna say that, like, I bet each production has their own off-brand version of things. You know, oh, like I didn't think about that. But if it if it's true what you're saying, like each of those separate shows has the same fake brand of chips. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured they were all done by the same like, you know, same channel. But, yeah, they must outsource it to some sort of company. But I guess yeah, maybe Let's is just like movieprops.com, bag of chips, you buy a bunch of lets. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so this was episode two. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, and, thanks for uh, listening. We'll be back next episode with Soapy Sanderson. So stick around. Northern Overexposure podcast is edited by me. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. Thanks to Beal for watching the show and being our guest analyst. Beal told me he wants to borrow my season one DVD, and he says the show seems like the perfect bedtime show. And of course, thank you for listening.